Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you? Where are you right now, Lisa? I am actually, believe it or not, for the first time in a, well, yesterday, uh, Monday was the first time, for the, for the first week in a very long time waiting to pick up um, my youngest, who is in seventh grade from school. They are in hybrid learning, and um, the school has been in hybrid learning since October, and uh, I kept my kids home um, in, well, Kira actually, my youngest had actually come for a couple of the hybrid days earlier in October and November, but then um, my father had open heart surgery in December, in, well, the end of November, and was recovering in December, and I was helping take care of him, so we were being extra cautious, so all of my kids um, were not in hybrid learning. They were at, at home and learning virtually, which worked out fine as well, but it's January, and um, my dad's doing a little bit better, and we felt safe with the, um, they're actually testing all the kids, and with the testing numbers coming back, um, with no no cases in the school, we felt safe uh, with the with the precautions that they're taking, and it's a small private school, so it's a lot easier than, I think, for the public schools to socially distance, have learning outside, um, you know, require masks all day, space the kids out, eat lunch outside, and um, space the kids out throughout the week, so um, the kids are in school two days a week right now. And so I am sitting in the carpool line outside, which is a very weird feeling. And I have to say, I didn't miss, <laughs> I didn't miss the extra time required to drive to and from school and wait in carpool line. It was nice to have that at home, but, but it's all good because she's really happy to be back in school, even though it looks a lot different than what it did a year ago. That is fantastic news. I'm so happy for you and your kids. It's so fantastic. And I'm really happy to hear that your dad is recovering. Um, big shout out to Jack Levin. Your dad is a rock star. Um, an avid cyclist and um, my thoughts and prayers have been with him. And I know that he will continue down this road of recovery and back on the bike soon. Yeah. Thank you. He's, he's uh, doesn't let much stop him. So he's, he's doing well and starts rehab next week. So I know he's eager to do that. So, uh, you know, his story reminds me a lot of Dave McGilvery's story, which is, you know, a healthy, active um, person that just has uh, some, um, you know, uh, genetic and family history factors that um, kind of surprised him and, uh, you know, had to have a quadruple bypass. But uh, just like Dave McGilvery, he's going to be back up. And I don't know about running. Um, my dad's not a runner, but he did say that he wanted to come back. And now he, he said he asked the doctor, will I be able to run a marathon after this? And the doctor said, I don't see why not. And my dad said, well, I've never run one before. So um, uh, so I think he was half joking. But um, but I, I, I'd love to see him, um, you know, come run with us but it, it, I know it'll make him really happy to be back on the bike and he's also an avid kayaker so to get back in the kayak and know that his heart is now um, taken care of and no no risks of, of being out there and pushing himself. Oh I'm so happy to hear that Lisa it makes me so happy and um, I know that you had an appointment today and therefore um, you were unable to make it um, for our interview with our guest today who is the incredible Heather Knightpeck. And, um, I, this is the first time we're talking about it. So if you don't mind, I'll share a little bit about what she talks about to, um, introduce the interview. And, um, Heather is an amazingly accomplished runner, hasn't been running for that long in the scheme of things because she started running in her forties and she is 58 years old. Uh, we featured Heather on our Facebook page a few months ago when Runner's World did a lovely article by Sarah Lorch Butler about her accomplishments as a master's runner, where her most recent accomplishment was in November, where she ran a 
127 half marathon, almost breaking the world record for her age. And prior to that, PR'd in every distance during her 58th year of life, including the marathon in Indy in 2019, where she ran a three-hour marathon. So she's an incredible runner. She's also a coach. It's amazing for any age, never mind for 58. Yes. And, you know, Lisa, her marathon and, and times are very similar to your PRs. So no pressure, <laughs> but they are. And you're, you're an amazing runner, too. And I'm thinking, huh, let's hear all Heather's secrets. So, Lisa, no pressure. But you, you are a phenomenal run, runner as well. And uh, Heather's 58. She's got 10 years, about 10 years on us. And uh, she's still running strong. So, it's very inspiring to know you've got a lot more left in you, and I believe I have a lot more left in me, and we hope our listeners, after hearing Heather Knightpack's story, will also believe that they have a lot more left in them. It, it's a great interview. Awesome. Well, I am excited to listen to it. I'm disappointed I didn't get to participate participate today, but um, I think Heather is a is a great example of, um, you know, women and, and getting stronger as we age. And that's something we've been talking about a lot lately ourselves as we get into our late 40s and, um, you know, how, how we have to change our training and how we have to adapt our training, but we can keep progressing. Yeah. So to that end, we're, we're actually doing a, a really cool thing in a few weeks. Um, we'll release more information about it um, soon, but we're doing a webinar with our favorite physical therapist, Rachel Miller, and Dr. Toby Beckerman, who is a gynecologist and specializes in women in menopause. And we are actually going to be doing a webinar called Running Through Menopause, where we're going to be talking about some things we need to know, information to empower us um, as women, as we age, and how we can remain competitive and strong and injury-free um, with that information. So this is going to be part one of the webinar, and then we're also going to be doing a part two with um, additional guests in a few weeks after that. So we had a meeting with Dr. Beckerman where we kind of went through what we're going to talk about. It's, it's going to be great. I'm super excited about it. We're going to make it um, free because we think it's information that everyone should have, and we hope that um, people who sign up will share it with their friends because it's important information. I don't think there's enough out there about uh, running through menopause and um, some of the things that women have to deal with specifically. Yeah, sorry, I'm distracted. I'm actually, um, Kira is coming out of school right now and I've got to move up in the carpool line. Um, so I'm sorry. All right. Well, on that note, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sign off now. This is real life, folks. And uh, we're really excited to introduce the amazing Heather Knightpack. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. Are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at julieandlisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners.
We are so pleased to welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast, Heather Knight Peck. Back in November, we shared a Runner's World article about Heather's incredible running accomplishments on our Facebook page. It ended up being one of the most shared articles we've ever posted, and we've had this page going for 10 years, but it was for good reason. Heather is a 58-year-old distance runner who has PR'd at every distance this year, including achieving a 127 half marathon and a three-hour marathon. In this episode, we talk with Heather about her incredible running journey from a 358 marathoner to a three-hour marathoner, her training secrets, how she overcame a very serious running injury, and how she stays motivated even these days. Heather is a coach with McCurdy Trained and also has a local group she coaches in her hometown in Connecticut. She is also a retired corporate executive and a mom of three daughters. Heather can be found on Instagram at underscore night training. We hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing and supporting the podcast. And if you haven't already, we ask you to please leave a review. Thank you. Heather Knight Peck, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hey, Julie, it's nice to be here. So we, uh, in November, shared on our Facebook page a wonderful article about you uh, in Runner's World. It was written by Sarah Lorch Butler, and it was a profile on your running. And I believe it was one of the top most shared articles from our Facebook page. And we've had this page for about 10 years. So that says an awful lot about the interest in your story. And we started contacting you after reading that because we knew we had to have you on our podcast. So we know you're a busy person and we so appreciate you joining us today. So uh, just to get started, we wanted to ask you, who is Heather Knight Peck? Oh, geez. Who am I? I'm a mother of three daughters, remarkable young ladies, um, I would say first. Um, I'm a long distance runner. Um, and um, I am I'm a business owner. I'm a former CEO and executive from the fashion industry. Um, I'm retired. Um, I'm a wife. I guess that was low on the list. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I'm I'm driven. I'm Type A. Um, I am tenacious. I expect the best of those around me and of myself. I'm I'm a grinder. I'm a workhorse. I'm a leader. Love that. So let's unpack a few of those things before we start talking specifically about your running. So you mentioned that you're a mom of three girls, and um, how old are your daughters now? All three are in their 20s. And you, at the same time, were, while you were raising your daughters, you were also CEO of uh, Ralph Lauren, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you just- uh, uh, Actually, uh, a polo jeans company. Um, okay. Some other jobs, yes. And you also worked, I believe, for Nine West, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. So for- So many of our listeners are also working parents, juggling everything right now, of course, in the times we are in. But before we start talking specifically about running, give our listeners some tips on raising kids while having a demanding job where you need to bring your passion to work every day. 
Oh, gosh, Julie, it's interesting you asked me that. We were talking about this. I, I ran with a group of uh, extraordinary women on Sunday and, and we were and many of them are doing that. They're in their 30s and 40s and they're raising a, a family, young kids and, um, you know, doing remarkable things, you know, at work um, and um, and for themselves and trying to do it for themselves. Um, and I did say um, superheroes um, in my post. Um, but having said that, I don't really believe in super women. I mean, I just, well, you can't do it all. So you, the first thing I'm going to say is you give up things. Um, and um, you make choices. Um, I also think that the, the crazier you are, um, the busier you are, the more productive you are. So um, sometimes I find now that I'm retired, although I am juggling my own job and, you know, my own business and some other things that, you know, the busier the day is, the better I am. Um, so sometimes I miss some of those, you know, sort of crazy, um, crazy days. But um, you also have to be a little bit more forgiving of yourself. So I would get up really early in the morning and I'd run three or four miles because that was really all I could do. I would shower, I would jump on the train um, and um, you know, I'd get into the office and then I would be 100% dialed into that, focused on that. Um, I would come home. My husband would often meet me at the train station and I would change in the, you know, behind the car <laughs> and I would jog, you know, jog a run, you know, home um, and, you know, put in a couple more miles and then I would be with my girls um, and um, I didn't sleep much those years. Um, but, you know, we also gave up a lot of other things. So there was no social life. Um, my family has, has long learned that getting dinner on the table is not something to necessarily expect from me. Um, as I said, we just, you know, you make choices. Um, I love that. You make choices. We're not trying to be perfect or superheroes. You make choices and you figure out what's important based on the day, based on the hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Thanks okay. for answering that. So moving on, since we are running podcasts, we're going to focus on your running journey today, but I just, I would have been remiss without talking a little bit about who you are in general, because you are, you have quite a resume. So you started running later in life. Um, Share with us what started your running journey and how old you were when you started running and how old you are now. Okay, so I am 58 now. I started to run. I had run off and on in my life. I ran in high school two years very unsuccessfully on cross country, never did anything. I didn't run again for a long time. I ran off and on during my 30s, um, largely as a way to get back after you know childbirth um and i grew up as a multi-sport athlete i and i had um actually came from a family of ski racers um and i you know i swam and i played field hockey and lacrosse and softball and you know played tennis as a kid um i did swim competitively for a while uh so the the idea of fitness is is and, and competitiveness is in is in my dna um, but running itself didn't really come along until my father passed away. My father was a runner among other things. Also, he was a multi-sport athlete and, um, he died running. 
And that was 2003. I was 40 years, 41 years old. I just turned 41. Um, and I ran really as um, a form of therapy, um, a way to be with him, a way to um, sort of work through the grief, but also to find him. That's beautiful. Um, and, um, and, and, and I did, and that's, I'm not going to digress there. And that's a, you know, a separate story, but, you know, I say to people who lose people, you know, that are important to them in their lives, find a way to have an ongoing relationship. Um, and it's different and it sucks, but there are ways to do that. And, um, and running gave me that with him. So for years, um, I ran and 2009 came along. Um, I, I had run, I, I, I started running in 2003 and never stopped. So in 2009 was the 25th anniversary of his running of the New York City Marathon. It was also the 40th anniversary of the running of the New York City Marathon. Um, and so I determined that that was something sort of bucket list that I, I wanted to do. And the, the reason I'd sort of say that is I think that the base of the years of, of consistency of running, um, you know, really helped me do that. And again, I, I come back to, you know, I'm an athlete and, and was, you know, all my life first. Um, but I injured myself badly in September of 2009. Um, I tore my gastronemus in three places. I did not run again from the third week in September until the New York City Marathon um, which, you know, is roughly the 1st of November. I ran maybe three or four days before the marathon. I went out for a three mile run was the first time I was cleared to run. And I ran that marathon. Um, and I'm sure your dad was with you the whole time. I like to think he was. Um, I ran a 358. So I, I'm a 358 marathoner to a 300. Um, I don't think that that Julie was indicative of my fitness or who I was as an athlete because I ran it injured. Um, so I, you know, I think out of the gate, I was probably about, a, yeah, I was a sub 330 marathoner because the next one I ran was a 325. So, so how, how did you recover from that injury and then be able to do that 325? Because you ran injured. I assume you took a significant time off after that, got your body back and then attempted another marathon. Yeah, the I didn't run. I so I finished that marathon. I qualified for Boston. I had no idea what that was. I had no idea. People were telling me, "Oh, you have BQ," and I'm like, "What? What's that?" Um, anyway, um, I didn't run another marathon again until 2011. So two years or a year and a half, I guess, based on the calendar, the way Boston runs. Um, you know, I don't think there's secrets in running, or you know, or running, you know, faster as a master. Um, I think that you put the time in and I think you train hard and consistently. Um, I think you rest and I think that's a place that people really go wrong. And I say rest in a very generic, you know, recovery. Um, yeah, for me, I eat clean and nutrition is a large part of what I do. Um, listen to your body, um, strength train, have a plan, um, love the process, you know, be passionate about what you do and love what you do. Um, and, um, and then race with intention, you know, when you, when you get there. So let's unpack that a little bit because you, you provided a lot of great advice here. 
Um, but going back to the basics a little bit, since you brought up it's not that complicated and there aren't a lot of secrets, there is one secret that I believe you probably adhere to pretty specifically, and that is specificity of paces. So um, talk to us and tell us when you're going out for an easy run, what does that look like for you? What are your paces compared to when you're doing a speed workout? I, okay, they, they, it's very different. Um, you have to run slow to run fast. Um, I, the, uh, when I go out on a recovery run or an easy run, which are actually almost two different things, but I, I'm running, you know, I can be running Julie nine thirties on average. I'm probably running closer to eight thirties because I might run the day after a hard workout at nine 30. And then I might run another, you know, easy day at sort of an eight pace, but my marathon pace is, you know, in the six forties. So that's a pretty significant difference. And it's a place where a lot of people, you're right, go wrong. So is it a secret? I don't know, but a lot of people train in what I call the gray area. Um, which is the same stimuli and too fast. Yes. And um, if we could geek out for a minute, both as coaches, I think it's really important for people to recognize that there, there isn't necessarily, the pace you're running one day of 930 may be 10 another day because maybe you just took longer to recover on that day. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like you're saying, you're supposed to run 9.30 or you're supposed to run eight on this day. It's just what your body naturally does. And it doesn't mean you're less fit or there's something wrong if one day that 9.30 is a 9.40, for example, um, as long I as you're think, running. I think you come back. Yeah, you say that really well, Julie. I mean, you come back. You have to listen to your body and let your body, you know, when you go out the door, let your body tell you what you should do. Um, it's, and it's really freeing to do that turn, turn, I don't turn your watch off. And most of us are type A, we're runners. You're not going to turn your watch off, but turn it upside down. Stop paying attention to it. Stop thinking that you have to, you know, crush. I could talk about why you shouldn't crush your workout also, which is another conversation, but certainly don't crush your easy days. Um, or be looking for some arbitrary, you know, pace. I mean, my workouts, I'll run, you know, 16 to 20 by 400s at a 540 pace. I'll run 15 times 1K repeats at a 605. I'll run three times five miles in the 640s, and I will go out and run my easy days anywhere from 815 to 930. That's great. I so appreciate you sharing that data. Um, I think also as we get older, um, even if we're running just as fast, our bodies take longer to recover. And part of that recovery, which we'll get into more that you mentioned is nutrition and sleep and all the little things. But a huge part of recovery is also what paces are you running on your recovery and on your easy days? Because if you are constantly trying to catch up or trying to Um, train your brain to believe that you should be running a certain pace, you will always, you will always be fighting that and not being able to execute those incredible workouts you just mentioned. So to, to, to sort of give clarity, I mean, I spoke to a group of high school kids that I'm coaching yesterday, and they just ran 10 by 200s really fast. 
26 to 34, depending on, it was a group of boys and girls, um, and with very little rest. And I said to them, that's great, but what we do the next 24 to 48 hours is way more important than what just happened. And if they don't recover, then that adaptation does not take place. So it's, if people could think about it as a, as, as a part of their training, it's in the toolbox of what you're doing and to take it seriously. I mean, one of the most important things I've done is get a coach. So I would say that to everybody. Um, it, I, I understand it's not for everybody. Um, and, you know, I, I have some people, actually friends around here that, you know, think that that's the craziest thing in the world. But I would tell you, get a coach. Um, and what, two of the things that happened for me, and I got not to, again, we're getting off a little bit, but I won my first Boston in 2017. I won my second Boston in 2018. And then I got a little curious. Well, just how good could I be? Um, I kind of want to find out how high I can reach. What are, you know, before I expire, um, (laughs) 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 I'm I'm cringing here. Um, You know, how, what, what, how, how, what is my best? And I think that should be everybody's goal, you know, is really, you know, to, to look at yourself. And, and, and that's one of the beauties of running is we can individualize and really find out what, what is our best. But I think you can carry that into your life as well. Um, anyway, it wasn't until this, the fall of 2018 that I hired a coach. I self-coached myself. The reason I say that that the the Boston, you know, sort of uh, history, if you will, is because I obviously was doing it successfully myself. Um, But getting a coach, um, well, first of all, it gives you objectivity. It gives you so many things. And I could I could, you know, sit with you for two hours and tell you all the wonderful things that it gives you. But mostly I'll tell you what it did for me. It freed me up to do the work. To just trust someone else and to go out and do what I needed to do. That took, it took time. It took a weight off me. It took the stress. It took a lot away that I think enabled me to go do it. The objectivity came in where James, James McCurdy's my coach. James said, I think you're running too much. I was running 4,800 miles a year, which is roughly 100 miles a week. I was 56 turning 57. I don't think you need to run that much. And I think if we pull you back, we could get you faster. So that was one of the things. And we pulled back pretty dramatically. I now run 3,500 a year, something like that um, on average. So that's a pretty big change. Um, You know, that's 1,200 miles a year. That's more than most people run that I that I pulled back on. Um, and the other, you know, I mean, so that was a significant where he objectively looked at what I was doing. Um, and one of the other things that we did was really mix the stimuli of what I was doing and got off the hamster wheel, if you will, of just marathon training over and over and over again. 
Um, so we were, you know, we, we played with some, you know, speed blocks and, and, you know, just doing some other things, um, that really helped. And, um, and I started to take that recovery, the active recovery and those easy days, partially because I just, my body just couldn't. So it almost forced me into, um, you know, so hard days, hard, Julie, easy days, easy. The harder they became, the easier my easy days became because that's just, as, as I said before, go out the door and let your body do what it can do or what it wants to do. Let, listen to it, let it speak to you and slow the F down. Well said. So I love how you talked about um, the fact, because you are a coach yourself, you coach with McCurdy Train. Yep. Um, and before you started coaching McCurdy Train, you were a coach with your um, independent company, mm -hmm. and you yep. still are. Yep. And you recognize that in 2017 and 2018, you were doing great, but you still wanted to get the best out of you. And so that is something separate from having a coach. You have to really want that. You have to enjoy the process enough to say, I want to go into the pain cave a little bit more and see what I can do. So you won your age group at Boston in 2017 and 2018 with times that were very similar. I believe it was a 310 or a 311 in both instances. Three, I ran 310.30 in 17 and I ran 310.15 in 18, the Nor'easter. Okay. So Lisa and I ran both those years. And so we also, we can attest to the difference in weather mm -hmm. between 2017 and 2018. So a, a part of me believes that you probably would have run a faster time in 2018, but for those awful conditions. Um, so it's really a testament to your fitness, even in 2018, before you got a coach, you, you were still improving because that race was just a disaster. And you ran about the same time that you ran in 2017, an incredible time under those conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so in 2019, which was of course your last Boston, because everything fell apart after that, and we did not have a Boston 2020. That's when you, you ran even faster, correct? No, I actually didn't run. So 2018, I ran faster than 2017. And yes, it was 30 mile an hour headwinds and rain I don't think I've ever seen before. It was horrible. Um, and, the <laughs> and the temperatures. I mean, I, I actually think the worst part was out in Hopkinton and, and anybody was out there. The people that were out there longer suffered more, I think. And then the people obviously who run, you know, 334, 435 suffered more because the, the, the more time you were out there, either, you know, at the start in Hopkinton or on the course, the worse it was. It was, it was, it was awful. Um, having said that, so then I went, um, I ran Falmouth, I PR'd at Falmouth, and that is when I contacted James to try and sort of, you know, success is a relative term. I wanted to define mine and I I was starting to believe there was something more. Um, so then literally 10 days after I hired him, my hamstring, I had a terrible hamstring injury. Um, and um, I had Chicago on the calendar and I didn't want to take it off because I was thinking that the, the Abbott World Majors age group two in a year 
if you're following me, it was, a, I, I, I don't usually talk about this because as a coach and as an athlete, it was a really bad decision that I made on my own against my coach's judgment. And I ran Chicago injured. And um, I actually held pace for about 17 miles on my three sub three goal. And then I, the pain just, I couldn't tolerate it anymore. Um, I had internal bleeding. Um, it was bad. I didn't run for three months. So lesson one for anybody who's listening, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and really be mindful of choices you make and goals and, and perspective. Um, so I did learn a lot from that. I placed, um, I placed third in my age group. I don't know how I ran the slowest marathon I'd run in years. Um, and I didn't run for three months. Um, so Boston 2019, the reason I tell that story is Boston 2019, I didn't start running again really until February. So I ran a 311 in, in 2019 and won my division for the third time. Um, and I, I think that's a remarkable testament to my base fitness um, that I was really able to do that, but not much more Julie than that. Um, so then I started to work towards what turned into Indy in, in November of 2019. Got it. Okay. So before we talk about Indy, which was your most recent marathon PR, when you were, tell us about what you did to rehab that injury, um, because clearly you recovered very well. And there are a lot of people listening who have sustained injuries, similarly serious or are injured right now and could use some, a pep talk. So tell us what you did. So the first thing I did, um, which is probably the hardest thing to do, is I listened to my physical therapist and I listened to my coach and I shut, and my doctor, um, and I shut down entirely. I did nothing, not even a walk. I did, I was on crutches for two weeks. I had to have an aspiration. I was badly, I, I badly hurt my hamstring. I, it, it, as I said, I injured it in September. I ran the race in October and I badly injured it in that race. Um, but it was, it was already torn. Um, so I, at that point, determined that I really wanted to run and I was gonna do anything that they told me to do. So I was on crutches for two weeks and then another two weeks of nothing. No walk, nothing. I did nothing. I got a book. I went back to some knitting. <laughs> did nothing. So um, you truly embodied what we call getting a PR in recovery. You did nothing, yeah. which is so hard for you, I'm sure. It's, it's so hard for all of us. It's, it's incredibly hard. Um, and so many of us, you know, well, the, you know, it doesn't really hurt if I'm walking or I, you know, the bike, I don't feel it when I'm, you know, on the bike or, you know, and I wanted to get in the pool, even though I hate water jogging, guys, it's, it's just horrid. Anyway, having said that, I wanted to get in the pool. Um, and I thought, okay, non-impact, you know, why can't I do that? And, and uh, I was told no, and I didn't do anything. I think that that was probably the single 
There, no, there's, there's something else I did during that four week period. I'm about five or six days in I, eating the way I eat, which we could talk about later on. Uh, I recognized, I don't go on a scale or whatever, but I was gaining weight. And like any of us and a runner, I'm thought, oh my God, I, I'm going to cut my calories in half. I've been, I'm not moving. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And I said that to myself. And then I took a step back and I said, food is fuel and it's your body's, your body's ability to repair comes from food. And so I gained a significant, I mean, I gained 12 pounds on 110, you know, I gained a significant amount of weight, um, but I got well. Four weeks later, I was cleared to water jog. I spent a good, I can't, I, I want to say, Julie, three or four weeks water jogging, which is hideous. Um, but totally. I, will, I will tell you something. I really believe it's response. It's a big part of what happened for me in the next following 12 months, because it's really good for me lift and, and drive. Um, it's the closest thing you can do to simulate running. And I believe that the height that I'm running and the power I'm getting out of my knee lift and glute is really directly related to that time I spent in the pool. So, so how much time did you spend in the pool during that? Uh, once you were cleared 20 minutes, ended up maybe maxing out at 60. I was doing intervals the same way that you do them in running in the pool. I'd warm up for 10 minutes. I would do, you know, a minute on, a minute off. I'd do ladders. I did, you know, I mean, obviously I wasn't working in meters. I was working with minutes, but I basically did, you know, interval training in the pool. So I did that for four weeks um, and then I got cleared to walk jog and that was another 17 or 18 days of walk jog. Um, and then the first time I was cleared to run, um, I literally that week, probably maybe three or four days into running, went what was out and I, you know, the first time I was just I was like a Cheshire cat. I was just so happy that I was running and I was running pain-free and whatever. Well, three or four days later, I sat down on the side of the curb and I'm not a crier. I think the only time, I mean, you know, I just, I'm not, um, I'm a pretty hardy girl. Um, I sat down on the side of the road and just cried and thought I never, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even hold an eighth. I thought I'm never going to run that marathon pace again. How, how, how did I do that? I can never do that again. And that's where, you know, even with my coaching experience and so forth, you know, when it happens to you and you have all those feels um, and you have to understand that the, the patience and sort of meeting yourself where you are now and not your future or past and, and, and um, embracing that. Um, so you know, that was February and it took a long, I, you know, I, I'm going to tell you in all honesty, it took, you know, eight, nine months and it really wasn't, I mean, I was running really well, probably mid to end September and into the November, into that November marathon. So you're talking about, you know, 
almost a year from the injury. Well, definitely a year, September, and 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 a good nine months after even being cleared, before I was feeling like myself. But you got there because you were patient and because yes. you met yourself where you were. Yes, that's yeah. great advice. Yeah, great advice. Yep. And so, share with our listeners what happened in November of 2019, uh, in, a little over a year ago. In, in November of 2019, well, so, so from September until, well, up until now into the half marathon I just raced, um, I have PR'd. So in 12 months time after, you know, a year from that injury, I have PR'd at 57, 58 years old, every single distance I have run by a lot. It's incredible. By a lot. You know, my, my 5k went from 20 to 1925 to 1902. My 10k went to 3856. My half went from 129, I can't, 129.20 something. I don't remember to 127.24. Um, and my full went from a 310.15 PR to a 30044. Incredible. So before we go into the meat and potatoes of all the things you've done during that year that were slightly different, the tweaks you've made, do you think looking back that actually taking that time off and having to rehab back and, and not having that extra mileage in some ways allowed your body to recover from all that you were doing, including the 100 mile weeks before you brought it back down and sort of allowed a reset to go ahead and do the things you're doing now? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so we pulled back my mileage. Um, I got very serious. I mean, I was always consistent in, in, in the work. I was relatively consistent in the other work, meaning strength and mobility, but I got really serious. I don't run now without a dynamic warm up. I don't do a workout without a dynamic workout warm up and striders. I don't miss strength training. Um, I, I do it two to three times a week. Um, and the mobility and the dynamics, the striders, um, you know, the, the hill repeats, um, and I'm not even getting into, as I said, the other stuff that we'll talk about, which is nutrition, because that was a big part of what happened for me at Indy, um, was figuring that all out. Um, so I think it's really important to, and then I carried physical therapy into prehab. So I really, it's, there's so many, I call them one percenters, but they're really not. I mean, if you want to talk about recovery, I'll tell you the first, the, the, the three most important things are sleep, sleep, and sleep. After you get to, because that's when your body repairs. And if you can figure out from a nutritional standpoint, how to feed your body, eat some protein before you go to sleep, that's even better. Um, so I started to get really serious about all of those things. So not only did I hire a coach, I, I really looked at having a team of people that understood me as an athlete, 
that understood what my goals were and were willing to work with me towards that. And I include, so I say Pete, my, my physical therapist, who's amazing, Kevin Coda, um, is now a prehab and someone, you know, I'm not seeing three or four times a week, but I'm seeing him once a week or once every 10 days, I see him and we look at, you know, imbalances and, and sort of what's going on. Um, I have clinical massage. Um, I, you know, in training, we'll do that once a week. When I'm out of training, I still try to prioritize and make sure I'm doing that once or twice a month. So to, you know, enable, you know, my body again to repair and to recover. Um, the, uh, a nutritionist, um, and that's life-changing, figuring out how to eat. The problem that runners have is we're just simply not eating enough. Um, gross generalization, I apologize to anybody who is, but, but basically we're just not. Um, and so, and then I could say, you know, compression boots and cryotherapy and on, you know, all of the other, you know, incidentals, but one of the other most important things. So I said PT and I said clinical massage and I said nutritionist. And one of the most important pieces of my team is, is my partner at my local specialty running store. And I think you need to find that person uh, and hopefully you have a good one. If you don't, I do. So please come to Darien Running Company or Ridgefield Running Company. And, he, you know, all these people now, Julie, you know, or, you know, or even my physical therapist, you know, telehealth and televisits and, you know, with Zoom and whatever, like, um, but she's looking at my foot and she's analyzing my, my gait and my strike. And, you know, I think everybody should be in inserts of, uh, of some sort. And I'm not talking about orthotics at a thousand dollars a pair. I'm talking about like, you know, and, you know, a, a, you know, uh, uh, super feed or, you know, whatever, but customized now. I You're speaking our language, Heather. I mean, we, okay. our whole podcast, we have guests all the time who come on and, and we, for a while, were sponsored by our local specialty running store, R&J, for the purpose of making sure people understand there is such a difference between ordering your shoes online and going in and having someone, an expert, looking at your gait, looking at the shape of your foot and seeing how a shoe fits. And you're speaking our language of the prehab. There's nothing like having a PT in your corner. Yep. Uh, you're speaking our language with nutrition, having a, a dietitian, a sports nutritionist who recognizes the importance of fueling your body with the specific needs, especially, and I'm, I'm, I want to come back to this, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention as women, you know, our hormones are changing with each decade and our nutritional needs change as well. And I'm sure in working with a dietitian, I would imagine that has been a game changer for you and recognizing where you have some um, need for certain nutrients or, or where you're okay. And I would imagine you had some blood work done and things like that to ascertain what you needed for your body to be able to perform at this optimal level. So there are two things that I want to touch on. So I'm going to say them just so I don't forget. First is I want to talk about your nutrition. And secondly, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your strength training routine. So first, uh, talk to me and tell me about your nutrition, what you changed and what you're doing outside of racing and during racing. Okay. So nutrition, um, you have fuel, um, you, you have to fuel, 
um, your body if you're gonna ask it to do hard things is what I try to say. So to simplify it, when I talk you know, to, well, actually when I talk to any of my athletes, but particularly the, the younger ones, um, eat real food, single ingredient, locally sourced and organic if possible, often, and a lot of it. It's as simple as that. Um, there is timing involved in what I've started to do. And, and it, you know, definitely I recommend a dietitian working with you um, to understand, you know, carb loading and even, you know, carb depleting and, and, and timing and, and, and protein and, um, you know, all of that. But I come back to calories in, calories out, eat real food, a lot of it often. We are not eating enough for our Love bodies it. to do what we're asking them to do. And there's so many sort of, Julie, you know, excuses that I get on, um, you know, uh, I'm running at five in the morning, I can't eat or, you know, and I, I do have an athlete who ran, uh, who ran a marathon, like that started super early in the morning. And she did like, I, I don't know, she got up at three in the morning, eight and went back to sleep and then and then ran the marathon because she knew she had to eat. So thank God she did that. But I'm not asking my athletes or anybody or suggesting that you need to get up, you know, at two in the morning because you're going to run at 430 and eat because people do need most people need 60 to 120 minutes to digest. That, that, that's just, a, you know, again, an average. But um, so if you don't have the gift of time, which I now have in retirement to, to be able to eat and then run, you know, at my leisure, um, then, you know, I come back to some sort of, you know, for me, it's you can. Um, and so my recommendation is that you take, you know, a you can drink. 30, 40 minutes before your run, you will get the calories. You'll also get a sustained energy because it's a, a slow release so that you're not going to have that spike and crash. Um, that's been a game changer for me. And it's an easy way if you're running early to take in calories without having to worry about food, digestion, whatever. So I'm trying to take away some of the excuses um, that I get, you know, particularly this summer in the summer, when we go out and we run really early, a, a bunch of us, a lot, you know, people would get there and I'd be like, did you eat? No, I didn't eat. It was too early. We'll stop that. Um, just, um, you really have to get into understanding and I just say, practice it, like train your gut, if you will, um, to, um, you know, but it, to me, you can, has been critical in, not just my training, I'm training better. And I have raced that the, the 5k, 10k and half marathon PRs I just talked about that I did this fall, all came off of, you know, being fueled by you can. But I also say that, you know, that, you know, I'm recovering better. And I think that that's because my body is, is, you know, utilizing fat more efficiently on through the super starch um, that's that's my that's my own opinion so i'm putting it in julie like real food so i'm mixing it in my oatmeal i'm baking muffins with super starch um so i i the the, the stabilizing you know of you know of my blood sugar levels i think is affording my body to recover i know it's re affording my body to recover more efficiently i think i would say 
Um, but you, you need carbohydrates to run. You need protein and carbohydrate blend to recover for your muscles to, you know, basically, you know, you've Julie and I are looking at each other right now. So I'm, you know, you're, you're basically, you're, you're pulling them apart and then you need to pull them back together again. You need to sew them back together again. That's happening from that blend. So a shake afterwards, you know, that has some sort of carbohydrate and, and protein mix is ideal within 30 to 60 minutes, ideally 30. Um, I keep UCAN bars in my car so that if I'm driving somewhere, I don't have excuses. Take the excuses away. Um, you know, figure out, you know, if you can't, if you can't be home and make a shake, what's your grab and go, how are you going to do it to get to that period? And then, as I said, if you can get yourself some, some protein, I mean, the East Africans is where I poach this idea from eating before I go to bed. Um, and that will also help you with those early mornings. So now if I don't, if I can't get oatmeal in and digested and whatever, I just grab a super starch that I mixed the night before. And I just grab that. Um, but I also had, you know, a mix of a carbohydrate protein, you know, usually I eat some sort of bar and some fruit or whatever mix before I go to bed. So you're telling um, our listeners that it's really not a great idea to be one of those intermittent fasters if you're trying to be a faster runner. No, terrible idea. Terrible idea. Yep. <laughs> First of all, it just wrecks havoc on your metabolism. Let's start there. But yeah, no. So you answered, I think, my next question, but I have a specific question from it. My next question was, um, how do you fuel during your races? And clearly you use UCAN. So for those who use UCAN or those who don't, what specifically I want to ask you is about how many calories do you believe you consume during a marathon? Such a good question. So I wasn't always good at this. Um, the three Bostons that I ran most re I've run Boston since 2011, but the, the 17, 18 and 19, if I got three gels in Julie, that was a lot. I'd have to go back in my journal and look and I didn't, I'm sorry, I don't remember, but I was maybe, maybe I got, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, best case scenario, I got 250 calories in during the race. Now, it's all about time. It's not about miles. This is another place a lot of people go wrong. So I'm not out there as long as somebody else is. So you really need to be fueling every 25 to 30 minutes. Um, the elites are fueling a little bit sooner than that, but I'm talking about for the, you know, for the average person out there, if you, you need to be taking calories, you need to get those calories in earlier than later so that your glycogen stores, you know, you, you want a carb load going into your event and then you want to be eating earlier so that your body again is more efficiently utilizing your glycogen stores, your fat stores and so forth. So a classic mistake people make is starting too late in the race. You're done. Don't do that. Um, amateur mistake. Um, and, um, the other one is, um, is then to get enough so that you have ideally those glycogen stores are topped off, but they're never dipping. Um, because once they go again, you're at, you're, you're done. So, and that really is the, the wall. So in Indy, I got 750 calories in during my race, 750. I weigh 110 pounds guys for anybody who's listening. That was the game changer. I think. That's great. I am so grateful that you were able to just spew out that number because 
Um, I think it's very hard for people to fathom how many calories we need during a marathon. And you said two things that are really important. The first is the sheer number of calories you consumed as a 110 pound little woman. And secondly, that you did it early because um, it's worth repeating. Our digestive system doesn't work later in a race the same way it works earlier in the race. So you are speaking our language again. And you know, now is a great time for people to start thinking about those things. There are no races right now, but it's a great opportunity to practice in like a long tempo run, how your body metabolizes. Because Heather, I would imagine that you spent a lot of time during the year um, before Indy practicing, taking in that many calories after so many years of not taking in as many calories during a marathon. Yes. As I said, you, you train your gut. Um, and I work with my athletes on this. Um, as I'm sure you do, Julie, it's, it's, it's part of the training and, um, and working and figuring out because not everybody is the same. Not everybody's body is different. And, and so what works for one doesn't necessarily work for others. Um, but you have to, you have to train that and you have to teach your body you know, also what you're eating in the morning, you know, what your meal looks like the night before. And all of these things are, are, are things that should be practiced over and over and over again, so that routinely, you know, your body expects that. But, you know, if, if Kipchoge runs two hours and takes in six or 700 calories, and I think he weighs 110 pounds soaking wet, we're all doing it wrong. Myself for sure because he's doing it in one hour and 59 minutes and he's taking in that amount of calories. So um I, I just think again, I come back to the time because so many people, you know, are are focused on, you know, you know, the sort of I, I hear a lot about four miles or what you know, but yeah, your body doesn't know miles. Right. <laughs> right. Just seems, you know, kind of silly. But um, so if you can train your body to take that in, and the more you train it, the better you will get at it. No different than doing intervals or anything else. And it isn't, it isn't, it isn't easy. You train it slowly over time. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've been out there and I, I've vomited it, or you know, or, or otherwise, you can all imagine, or whatever. <laughs> your body learns how you know, you do it, you know, you do it slowly, you start, you know, and, and I don't mean slowly as far as in the run. Again, I always say start early, do not start late. But maybe you can't take in, you know, 400 or 800 calories right away. So start with, you know, start practicing with half a gel every 25 minutes, or you know what, so start your body learning how to take in the calories and keep building on that. That's great. That's such great advice. And so moving on to strength training, uh, talk to me about what your strength training routine looks like on a general uh, running week, not necessarily right before your marathon or peak, but just throughout the year, what are you doing for strength training to stay injury free? So the reason we strength train is to minimize injury. And also to work on power and single leg. Those, the, the, or at least that's my objective in my strength training. Um, the stronger my body is, the better balanced it will be, and I will minimize injury. Um, the more power that I can get out of my glute, the more I can get my leg up 
and I can get my feet off the ground. Marathoning becomes, if we're talking about marathoning and we seem to be talking about that, it becomes a little bit like plotting. And as I said, I think everybody should get out of the cycle of just marathon upon marathon upon marathon. And I can talk about what I think about racing versus training, but largely, you know, we need to get, we need to get stronger so that we can get, you know, fitter and faster and get more power working, working, you know, from, from our, from our big muscles. Um, and then the other is weaknesses. So for instance, you know, my hamstring is somewhere, you know, in my posterior chain, I can get crankies and the, this, that, and whatever, and sort of, you know, oh, my foot's a little, the, my calf's getting tight, you know, fascia, you know, this, that, whatever, and then it works its way up. And when it gets to the hamstring, typically both on the right and the left is where it, it presents itself. Injury presents itself long before you feel it. So that's really a danger um, and that's again, brings me back to PT where maybe they can see some of those imbalances and work with you. But, you know, 82% of runners, I think it is 82 or 84% of runners will be injured. That means 82 or 84% of my runners and your runners are going to be injured. Um, and I think strength training is, is, you know, that and, and, and nutrition are two of the single best ways to get out of that cycle and thereby, you know, have longer blocks of productive training. Isn't that what we all want? So the only way I can get that is if I, you know, so I, I strength chain two to three times a week. I do it for 45 to 60 minutes. I do a lot of single leg work. I do not do heavy lifting. I'm not, I did do CrossFit years ago. I think it's a terrible idea. I love CrossFit. It's a wonderful community of people. I think it's great, but if you're 58 years old and you're uber competitive, it's a really bad idea. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, I just think strength is how we hold paces and that it's important to invest in our body to be able to do that. So what are some of your go-to strength exercises that you incorporate in that 45-minute training session? Oh, I do. As I said, I do a lot of single leg work. I'm in whether it's, you know, single leg, you know, deadlifting um, or I'm, you know, single leg glute bridging. I do a lot of eccentric and hamstring work for me. So, um, you know, Nordic moves um, and I do, um, you know, slide. I do do a lot with sliders, um, hamstring curls, um, planks. Um, I'm a huge um, fan of planks, but I do upper body also. I row and, you know, I do, you know, some pull-ups and, 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 and push-ups. Um, I love, I think you should squat often a lot. Um, so I do that and I'll do it with, you know, 10 pound or 15 pounds and thrust, you know, and thrust up. Um, I do some BOSU ball squatting. So, you know, it, it, you know working on stability, um, band work. Um, you know, is really important. That's great advice. All good stuff. Um, so right now we're in a weird time and we're not sure exactly when races as we know them will return, but there are a lot of smaller race opportunities. And I know you have a lot of big goals that you're still working on. And one of them is of course the sub three, but there's probably a lot of other goals we're not aware of. So Share with our listeners what your goals are right now and what you're working toward and um, what your race plans are if, if all of the, the cards fall into place. Okay, so I wrote the I journal. 
everybody journal. It's really important, um, I think, um, again, to be able to reflect, to be able to, um, to be able to see patterning, um, I think is really important. Um, it gives you some time with yourself um, and it enables you to own your work and your goals um, by putting it on paper and then by saying them out loud. So, um, you know, last year, you know, my goal was, you know, a sub three and, um, you know, a half. Um, and um, I wanted to, um, the 10K, the, the 10K and the five. So I had these time goals, but I also had pro more process goals. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to run healthy. I wanted to be able to have longer blocks of training, which I had struggled with in, in 16, 17, 18. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I had that. Um, I, a goal for me was to work on my nutrition and my hydration. I've worked really, really on my hydration a lot this year. Um, and I've gotten significant, I'm not there yet, but five, five out of seven days, I'm, 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 I'm nailing it. <laughs> so awesome. um, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, so that, you know, those were some of last year's this year, I'm actually looking, I mean, I need to strengthen my hamstring. So that's a major focus, um, for me, um, I want more exposure, um, longer intervals at threshold and interval interval intensity. Um, and I want to get better at running on flat ground. So I eat like a Chicago, if you will, to your list, to, to anybody who's listening, I ran my half marathon just, you know, in, in November. And while I missed my goal, um, which was to, to take a world record for my age, um, I did have a, a, an almost two minute PR. So I was really, I was, I was sad. I let myself be sad for 24 hours. And then I was really happy. But one of the, one of my takeaways was it was an incredibly flat course. So I live in New England and I run rolling terrain all day long. I climb 150 to 200, you know, vertical a year. So I need to work on running on, on flat. Um, it's hard. You have to lock in. There's no give back. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things I want to focus on. Um, I think it's important to focus on our strengths and our weaknesses. So to build, you know, and, and balance on both of those. Um, and, um, mindset, I, I, I have a really, really strong, well-exercised and trained mind. Um, and I'm incredibly tenacious and I can grind and I love the sort of mess and the transformation of running, but I kind of quit mile 11 and 12 of that half. I, 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 I what, uh, well, I, I don't know. Quit, quit isn't the right word. I, I lost my focus. And I think we need to stay present when we're racing. Um, and, um, I need, so I need to practice that and I'll practice that in, you know, in longer training runs, you know, when I get tired, um, to really be dialed into, you know, exactly where I am in that moment. And that, you know, comes down to mantras or whatever it takes, you know, for me, sometimes I throw out form and, you know, think about knee drive and arm, you know, arm swing and, you know, um, breathing on, um, you know, whatever that is to bring myself back and into, into present. Um, but one of the points I sort of alluded to earlier, Julie, that, that I think is that we should 
train more and race less, um, that's sort of counterintuitive to our, you know, to the industry. And, but I think it's where a lot of masters, or I will say grandmasters, we age up and everybody gets really like, I'm going to go run this local and I'm going to win this, you know, whatever age group and so forth and so on. I, I think you need to take risks. I think you need to put yourself out there. I think racing is really important. I think you need to do it strategically and with intention. And I think you need to train into it. Um, and then you need to embrace failure, as I said, you know, and I'm using it in a loose term, but in my mind, I failed in November. So, but I'm not afraid to fail. And I have these, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, and maybe I'll get there, maybe I won't, but I'm going to keep trying. Um, so, you know, those are some of the elements that I, that I think are important, but I, I, I know with some of my athletes, I see, you know, people racing once and twice a week in some of these summer series and what, and I just, I think it's kind of dangerous if, you know, um, particularly if you're older. It's great advice. So to wrap it up, I have, uh, you've given so much of yourself and you've provided so many fabulous nuggets of advice, but we have a lot of listeners right now who are definitely in a slump or a funk right now because we're on month 10 of a pandemic rate, you know, running isn't canceled. We've heard that a lot, but certainly races are. And for those listening that just are trying to get their groove back, could you give them a little bit of advice right now on how, how to do that in the middle of winter during these times? First, I'll say, I feel your feels. Um, I, I, I think we all, it's been a really, really tough year. Um, I think that COVID has given us some wonderful things too. And I think it's important to reflect on those. It's given us time. Um, so you have, you have this gift of time to work on your weaknesses and, um, you know, I could digress and tell you it's giving you time with your family and some of the things you know it's prioritized that, you know, our health matters and money matters and stuff doesn't. And there's so much that it, it really has done. But as it relates to running, which is your specific question, I think that it's important to, again, I come back to sort of journey, have, have goals um, and don't let them all be time. Um, don't let them all be outcome, I guess is, is, um, you know, let them be process order or, uh, you know, uh, oriented, um, love what you do and recognize when you're out there and say it out loud that I'm, I get to do this and, um, and then mix it up, Julie. Um, you know, maybe this is a year that you run more volume than you ever have before. Um, maybe you take on something you've never done before. We did a mile series. I'd never done it. Um, it, it, it was all, it was painful. It was so many things. Um, but I kept trying, I kept putting myself out there, um, largely because it was May and I was in lot. I had nothing else to do. So why not? Um, so I find there are things out there in the running world and I'm sure you're, you know, supplying them to your athletes, but maybe take a step back and look at, okay, I've been marathon training for, you know, two years, five years, 30 years. 
Um, do some half marathon training, do some 5k training, uh, do some top speed, go after your fastest mile. Um, maybe I've never run more than 35 miles a week, but I want to try running 50. Well, that will take you time to build to that. Or I want to try and run, you know, a hundred or whatever the number is, but do, do it, do it with a coach, do it carefully. You know, we can talk about the 10% rule, but take, um, mix it up, mix up surfaces, mix up stimuli, um, you know, maybe put yourself out there, reach out, I mean, to, uh, you know, to some new people. And again, I'm saying do it, you know, under COVID and with a mask or, you know, however it makes you comfortable. I mean, I'm not suggesting that everybody go out there and, you know, run on top of each other, but you, you know what I'm saying, do, do things, dare to do something that you haven't done. And, you know, maybe let your coach or let your training partner or your spouse or someone help you come up with some of those ideas. Maybe say to them, I'm in a rut. I want to do something different. And again, the objectivity of somebody else looking at it, um, I don't want to be stagnant, but I am. So maybe ask someone for help on some ideas. I know I love, one of the things I love about robust dialogue and I loved about my career and I love about my athletes is nobody has the answer, but sometimes a lot of stuff being thrown up, something sticks on the wall. And I just, you know, so maybe, you know, ask a friend, as I said, um, but I would say do, do it, do some things differently. We've had some fun. We've done some field trips. We've done some, um, we've done some virtual relays. Um, we've uh, and, and virtual racing. Uh, I'm with you. It's gotten no. Oh, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, for me, it wasn't so hard because I do time trials and I do that kind of stuff as part of my routine. But for a lot of people, it's really hard and it's getting old. I I hear you. I my athletes are saying the same thing. But um, I think that there's other things, and I think you know connectivity is um. And Zoom has been a great thing, but I think people, I think we've gotten isolated and isolation is real. We're meant to, we're meant to be together. So, you know, maybe you do some, you know, group chats and, and everybody can sort of, you know, air what's worked and what hasn't worked and, um, you know, commiserate, but also, you know, share some positives on, you know, together. Um, and um, so I think communication, I think connectivity is important um, and how you do that. And, um, and then, as I said, again, do, do something different. Live a Great little. advice. Great advice. So Heather, before we go, could you let our listeners know how we can find you? Um, you can find, I'm actually on Instagram under underscore night training. Um, I'm also, I have a personal account, Heather Peck. Um, and, um, I wasn't on Facebook at all ever, um, until runner's world. Um, and now I'm on Facebook, but I'm not, that's not how to communicate with me. Really. I'm sort of just putting my toe in the water a little bit there, but if you want to reach me, Instagram, I am on Instagram. And that's how we found you and reached out to you. And we can't thank you enough for your time today. Uh, you're terrific. And it was just such a pleasure talking with you and learning more about your story. And I know there's so much more to come and we're excited to see what is to come. But in the meantime, um, we hope that your training gets off to a great start in 2021. And thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan, 
And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.